The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, the show's currently on break until the new year, but we've got plenty of classic episodes to tide you over. Enjoy this trip through the show's own history, and I'll see you back here on January 2nd with a batch of brand new episodes. See you in the new year. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello, I'm Holly Fry, and I am sitting in this week for Tracy V. Wilson. It's December 29th, and we are talking today about an event that happened in 1890, which was the Wounded Knee Massacre. But first, we have to talk about the Ghost Dance. The Ghost Dance was a spiritual movement, originally established in 1869 by a Paiute dreamer called Wadzuab. And while in a trance state, Wadzuab dreamed that the spirits of the departed were going to return and make the world into a paradise of eternal life without conflict among peoples. Based on his visions, he began to urge people to perform a traditional round dance over a series of nights as a form of religious practice. This was intended to connect to the land of the dead, with the promise that the souls of the departed would come back to their loved ones in several years. And his ghost dance, as it was called, caught on and spread from Mason Valley in Nevada to California and up the Pacific coast. Wadzuab died in 1872, and the ghost dance movement, which was still in its infancy, faded out from practice. But that wasn't actually the end of the ghost dance. It was revived by Jack Wilson, who also went by Wovoka in the 1880s, after he had a vision during an eclipse. And he began to preach to the Paiute people that their deceased ancestors would return from the dead, and that white people would eventually be gone from the earth, and that peace, health, and prosperity would return to the Native American tribes. And to ensure that this cleansing and transition to a new world of prosperity happened, according to Wavoka, the ghost dance had to be performed for five nights in a row, and then those five nights of dancing repeated every six weeks. Now, at this point in history, relations between Native Americans and the U.S. government were not good. 
the U.S. had repeatedly broken treaty agreements, virtually every one they had signed with the Native Americans. And they also pushed Native Americans onto smaller and smaller parcels of land and reservations so that the land that they had lived on for, in many cases, years and years and years, could be seized. The ghost dance was an entirely pacifist movement, which forbade violence. But just the same, it terrified the U.S. government, which did not understand it. Over the course of 1890, there was increasing consternation on the part of the government and military that this embrace of traditional customs and the rejection of white culture would lead to trouble. From the white field agent perspective, they saw large numbers of Native Americans gathering, and they jumped to conclusions that they were doing something threatening. And by this point, the ghost dance had spread once again, and some of the Lakota Sioux had begun to practice it. There had also been an addition to the dance of so-called ghost shirts decorated with red paint and other ornamentation, which they believed would protect them from bullets fired by the guns of white men. A large gathering of people traveled in December to see the Lakota leader Sitting Bull and practice the ghost dance together. Believing that the Native Americans were practicing a war dance as a prelude to an uprising, Indian agency police moved in to arrest Sitting Bull on December 15th of 1890. And this led to a fight in which Sitting Bull was killed. Two weeks later, a group of ghost dancers, having fled Standing Rock Reservation where Sitting Bull had been killed, were captured and brought to a camp at Wounded Knee Creek with the Lakota Sioux Chief Spotted Elk by the U.S. Army's 7th Cavalry. That was on December 28th. The camp was surrounded by the military with an armed perimeter. On the morning of the 29th, an army colonel named James Forsyth demanded that the Lakota disarm. There is conflicting information as to how things unfurled from there. The Lakota may have begun their ghost dance, agitating the soldiers, but we don't know for certain. A young Lakota man named Black Coyote refused to disarm according to accounts by white soldiers. But Lakota accounts of the incident indicate that Black Coyote was deaf and he simply did not understand the command to disarm. But as an attempt was made to forcibly take Black Coyote's rifle, the gun went off. And this catalyzed an intense, short-range firefight. Because of the close quarters, some cavalry members were firing on their fellow soldiers at times. And when the whole thing ended, less than an hour after it had begun, between 150 and 300 Lakota were dead. Tabulation of that number is inconsistent. An estimated half of the Lakota who had been killed were women and children, and 31 U.S. cavalrymen were also killed. If you would like to hear more about this tragic incident, there is an episode in the Stuff You Missed in History class archive by previous hosts Sarah and Katie that was originally aired in 2009. I want to thank Chandler Mays and Casey Pegram for their always amazing work on the audio for this podcast. And if you would like to subscribe to this day in history class, I encourage you to do so. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You should also check in with this day in history class tomorrow, but I'm afraid it is another tragedy. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm getting some much-needed R&R in the comfort of my home. But just because I'm resting doesn't mean history stops. Let's get on with another episode. The day was December 29, 1996. Guatemalan President Álvaro Artesu and the Guatemalan National Revolutionary Unity, or URNG, signed peace accords, ending the 36-year-long Guatemalan Civil War. In 1954, the United States Central Intelligence Agency backed a coup to overthrow the democratically elected Guatemalan president, Jacobo Arbenz. Right-wing Guatemalan Army Colonel Carlos Castillo Armas led the coup. American anti-communist fear was at a high, and Arbenz was deemed a communist threat. He had legalized the Guatemalan Communist Party, and his land reform threatened major landowners, particularly the U.S.-based United Fruit Company. Arbenz was forced to resign and went into exile. Armas took power in Guatemala and reversed reforms from the last decade and returned land to the United Fruit Company. Throughout the rest of the 1950s, government corruption was common. Leftist political parties were banned, and poverty was rampant. Armas was assassinated in 1957, but military personnel continued to take power. But the Guatemalan Civil War did not begin until November of 1960, when the country was under the autocratic rule of General Idigaras Fuentes. A group of junior military officers attempted a revolt against the government and failed. But some of them went into hiding and established contact with Fidel Castro's Cuban government. By 1962, they had established an insurgent movement known as MR-13. And from there, the conflict escalated. Left-wing guerrilla groups began fighting government military forces. 
there were demonstrations, riots, and strikes in Guatemala City. With the assistance of the U.S., the Guatemalan armed forces engaged in anti-guerrilla warfare. The conflict was especially brutal, marked by violence, abductions, and state terror. In 1966, civilian rule was restored and Julio Cesar Mendez Montenegro, the candidate of the Moderate Revolutionary Party, was elected president. But violence and terror intensified as the army launched a counterinsurgency campaign that broke up guerrillas in the countryside. Guerrilla attacks continued in Guatemala City, though, After Colonel Carlos Arana Osorio assumed the presidency in 1970, he declared a state of siege so that the military imposed more control over civilians, including a curfew in home searches. Throughout the rest of the 1970s, a series of military governments perpetrated violence against guerrilla groups and anyone who seemed to support their cause. Guatemala's indigenous people had been subjected to discrimination over the years, and many of them fought in the Civil War. Their communities were hit hard in the violence of the conflict. In 1981, the Inter-American Human Rights Commission issued a report that said the Guatemalan government was responsible for thousands of missing people and illegal executions throughout the 1970s. A particularly bloody part of the Civil War were the years under the dictatorship of General Efrain Rios Montt. He resorted to using a scorched earth policy, and indigenous Mayans were murdered in mass. But the war he had pledged to end escalated, and in August of 1983, he was overthrown by General Oscar Humberto Mejia Victores. The new president promised a return to the democratic process. Two years later, a new constitution was approved, and presidential elections resulted in the victory of civilian president Marco Vinicio Cerezo Arevalo. Peace talks between the government and rebels of the Guatemalan Revolutionary National Unity began in 1994. But the civil war raged on until 1996, when President Álvaro Arzu was elected. He finalized the peace negotiations, and on December 29th, he signed a peace agreement ending the Guatemalan Civil War. More than 200,000 people were killed over the course of the war. Most of the people who were killed were Mayan. The army was responsible for the majority of the human rights abuses committed. Rios Montt was convicted of genocide and crimes against humanity, but his conviction was later overturned. A court later ruled that he would not be sentenced if found guilty in a retrial due to his senility. He died in 2018 while his trial was ongoing. The effects of the war resounded into the 21st century. Poverty, crime, violence, and human rights violations continue to plague the country. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to hit us up on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. If you want to email us, you can reach us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those who can never know enough about history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're looking at the early days of a youth outreach movement whose four-letter name is now known around the world. The day was December 29, 1851. Retired sea captain Thomas Sullivan helped establish the first YMCA in the United States in Boston. The Boston chapter of the Young Men's Christian Association provided food, shelter, a safe place for socialization and exercise, as well as Bible classes and prayer meetings to those in need. Its overarching goal was to protect young men who came to the city from the vices of urban life, or, as Sullivan put it, quote, to meet the young stranger as he enters our city and in every way throw around him good influences, so that he may feel that he is not a stranger. Sullivan's YMCA was patterned after the first one, which had been established in London in the 1840s. At the time, industrialization had brought thousands of young adults to London in search of work. They quickly found that life in a bustling city was very different from that of their rural family farms, and not always in a good way. Many found jobs in factories and warehouses, as they had hoped, but the working conditions there were much harsher than expected, complete with 12-hour workdays, six days a week. Most of the transplants lived in crowded boarding houses, or in tiny rooms above the company office. Separated from their families and communities for the first time in their lives, many of the young men turned to the seedier aspects of city life for comfort, 
Some wasted all their pay in taverns, brothels, and gambling dens. Others had it stolen outright by thieves and scammers who saw the country boys as easy prey. One young man drawn to city life in London was a former farmer named George Williams. He had done all right for himself after the move, finding steady work at a department store by the age of 22. However, he was concerned about his less fortunate peers. Not only was their physical health at risk due to poor working and living conditions, Williams believed they were in spiritual danger as well. His solution was to provide healthier means of diversion for the city's youth in order to keep them away from temptation. To that end, Williams partnered with 11 like-minded workers on June 6, 1844. Together, they created the world's first YMCA with the mission to improve, quote, the spiritual condition of young men engaged in drapery, embroidery, and other trades. The idea was embraced by the public, and YMCA chapters began to spring up all over. Within ten years, there were around two dozen YMCAs in Great Britain alone. The idea was also gaining traction in other countries that were experiencing the growing pains of industrialization, including the United States. In 1851, Boston native Thomas Sullivan read about the organization in an article written by an American student who had visited London. Sullivan had recently retired after a life at sea and turned his attention to social outreach and missionary work. In 1848, he founded Boston's Marine Mission at Large, which ministered to sailors. Three years later, after learning about the YMCA, Sullivan decided to bring the program to Boston. On December 15th, he met with 31 men from local city churches and wrote a set of guidelines for what would become America's first YMCA. Sullivan spent the next two weeks drafting and redrafting the charter. Finally, on December 29th, the group reconvened and voted to adopt the Constitution for the YMCA of Boston. The initial rules written by Sullivan would remain in place for nearly four decades, serving as the foundation for many other YMCAs throughout the growing country. Within a few years, the organization had spread throughout the United States, just as it had done in Great Britain. In the late 19th century, the YMCA broadened the scope of its outreach and began accepting young men, whether they were Christian or not. It also started putting a greater emphasis on exercise and physical fitness. For example, the Y in Boston installed the country's first indoor swimming pools. Other chapters in Massachusetts were even more pioneering, eventually leading to the creation of two brand new sports. At the Y in Springfield, an instructor named James Naismith invented the game of basketball in 1891 as a new way to keep his students active during the frigid New England winters. The game quickly caught on and was taught at YMCA's throughout the state. However, four years later, at the YMCA in Holyoke, a gym teacher named William Morgan noticed a problem with the game. Over the years, the organization had relaxed its age restrictions, meaning that men of any age could now make use of its facilities. 
Morgan realized that basketball was too strenuous for the older men, so he developed a new, less demanding indoor sport for them to play. He called the game Mintonet as a play on badminton, but we know it better today as volleyball. In 1855, four years after Thomas Sullivan launched the first YMCA in America, a meeting was held in Paris. Delegates from 99 chapters gathered and agreed to form the World Alliance of YMCAs. Today, the organization exists in more than 120 countries, with about 2,500 individual branches just in the United States. The nonprofit has certainly grown in scope, but it remains every bit as committed to improving the physical, mental, and spiritual health of men of all ages and from all walks of life. Lastly, I have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is, of course, the YMCA song that you've probably been humming since you saw this episode's title. The disco song YMCA was released by the Village People in 1978. It was one of the biggest hits of the decade and remains popular today, especially at sporting events where crowds are still fond of spelling out the letters with their arms. At first glance, the song seems like an ideal anthem for the organization, extolling its virtues and all the fun activities it offers. However, the actual YMCA didn't see it that way. In 1979, they filed a lawsuit against the band for copyright infringement, though they later dropped the case. At that point, the song was just too popular to silence, much to the relief of macho men worldwide. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dare. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.